This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers brought to you by the Fur Bearers. I'm very excited to be able to share this episode with you because it's a bit of a launch, too. The Fur Bears is making a documentary. That's right, we're working with renowned wildlife photographer John E. Marriott and the Exposed Wildlife Conservancy team to create a documentary series on snares and trapping in Canada called Trapped in the Past. The series, which is set to release November 2022, will ask hard questions about snaring and trapping in Canada and incorporate all perspectives, including those of trappers, biologists, indigenous leaders, and advocates. Trapped in the Past is poised to be a game-changer for Canadians and for the hundreds of thousands of animals killed in traps every year. To talk about this new project and share the details of our incredible upcoming Giving Tuesday challenge, I was joined by John E. Marriott and Kim Audland of Exposed Wildlife Conservancy. More info on our Giving Tuesday challenge, a teaser trailer, and links to donate are available in the show notes. The idea for this project, I think that's the place to start. Uh, and John, maybe you could share a bit about what happened. And I think we're going back about a year and a half or two years now, uh, 2019 or so, uh, with Craig and a wolf in Alberta. Could you share a bit about that story and what conversations it led to? Yeah, so in January uh, 20th, 2019, I got a phone call from a person that I did not know, um, left a message for me and said, can you call me back right away? I found a wolf alive in a trap in Kananaskis country. So just south of where I live in Canmore, Alberta in the Rocky Mountains. I actually did not check my voicemails that night. I got it the next morning and I was like, oh my gosh, what the heck is this? And phoned the person back right away and was introduced to a guy called Craig Comstock who told me this harrowing tale of being out hiking with his dogs and his girlfriend in Kananaskis country and coming across what he soon determined was a trap line because his dog got into digging into a carcass and dug up a frozen fox carcass and then started looking around and saw coyote carcasses and wolf carcasses and they continued down the trail and found another area like this, continued on further, found another area, heard a sound in the bush went in and investigated and found a live wolf stood up right beside him with its back leg caught in a snare. And this all kind of unfolded extremely quickly then. I got off the phone with him and I immediately, uh, the very next day, drove down in the dark to this trap line. He gave me explicit directions how to get there. I mountain biked, I fat biked out so I could Mm -hmm. get out there as quickly as possible, hoping to find this wolf still. I took wire cutters with me, all kinds of stuff, just in case, you know, I did, it's obviously illegal to tamper with the trap line. So I was prepared if I was gonna try and cut this wolf loose, I was gonna have to compensate the trapper for it and let him know that what I had done, um, because what he was doing was totally legal at this point, uh, I thought, or I, you know, surmised. Anyways, I got out there and the wolf was no longer there. There was a big blood stain there and the wolf had obviously been killed and, and cut loose. And it set a chain of events into progress that led to three weeks later as releasing uh, through the, the Exposed with Johnny Married at the time. This was before we had started 
the Exposed Wildlife Conservancy, and it started, uh, we released, sorry, this, this uh, 10 minute snaring episode that included interviews with Craig and his uh, partner Tara. And we went down and actually were on site and we had video from the trap line. And it was, uh, it was a really well-received episode, um, heard from uh, members all over government in Alberta and British Columbia, as well as in Montana and Wyoming. Um, so it, it was really impactful in that sense. And after that, Craig just couldn't let it sit. He, you know, we continued on. We made another episode uh, after hearing from you guys, actually, from the fur bears. I'd, yep. I've been involved with the fur bears for four or five years now. And I'd heard from you guys, from your, your executive director at the time, Leslie, had, had said um, that, uh, geez, you guys got to do something on pets because we're getting all these reports of pets getting caught in snares. And so we did, we followed up and we did a report uh, with a, a fellow from Calgary called Rodney, who had had his dog uh, caught in a snare on a hike also that winter of 2019 and almost lost his dog. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was frantic. Um, it was actually the exact same trap line that Craig had encountered the live wolf on um, just, you know, by, by, I guess, unfortunate circumstance. And anyways, Craig off on the, the sidelines just started digging into all this stuff on his own and started researching things and going, I don't understand why this is legal and why, like, you know, this guy just had carcasses strewn all over the place and he has this beautiful cabin built in the wilderness and he's allowed to drive down a logging road that nobody else is allowed to go on. And mm -hmm. you know, he just couldn't understand any of this. And he started digging in and phoning government officials and Fish and Wildlife and RCMP and trying to He kept getting back all the same arguments over and over again, these same points, you know, it's, oh, it's the economic impact, you know, it has a positive economic impact, it's, it's stewardship of the wilderness, it's conservation, it's, you know, and on and on. And he started recording all these arguments, same points by the same people over and over again, and going, this, this can't be right. And he eventually came back to us, and us being Kim Odland and myself, um, so Kim is the co-founder of Exposed with me. And in the meantime, we had started the Exposed Wildlife Conservancy in March of 2020. And when he came back to us, he had this script written up. Mm. And I approached Leslie with the fur bearers and said, hey, you know, we've got this idea of producing this documentary series tackling not only snaring, but the trapping industry in general and, and asking some of these tough questions and kind of revisiting, you know, should these regulations be updated? Some of them are completely archaic. You know, many of the, the trapping regulations in Canada were set in the 1930s. Yeah. Um, so they're completely out of touch with where we are today as a society. And so Leslie was, you know, absolutely just, uh, you know, gung-ho is not even a strong enough word. Um, she, she was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, this is stuff we, you know, this has been in our mandate since we began. And, uh, and I think maybe you can, you know, you, you, you had a conversation with her early yep. on, didn't you? Oh yeah. When uh, Leslie first informed me that uh, she had been in conversation, uh, uh, she's, I think the conversation we had more or less went. So I was talking about doing a, a trap documentary, a trapping documentary with John. I said, John who? She said, John Marriott. And I said, okay, let's do it. 
um, because we have worked together frequently on media projects. And, and as you noted, you've been on Defender Radio and we have been fortunate to receive uh, your photos, both for use in content uh, and educational stuff, but also to help us fundraise and do things like that. And it just felt like such a natural fit for these two groups to come together on this project. Um, and I think we're all equally excited at this point. Uh, now, Kim, last night, uh, for folks knowing this is November 17th right now, and Exposed Wildlife Conservancy had a cool uh, sort of fireside chat with a bunch of their special insiders, uh, supporters. And we spoke about this project. And Kim, you, you made the great point of identifying the scope of this as you learned more about it. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that sort of insight you had. Absolutely, Michael. I think that was, to me, uh, it was really mind-blowing, to be honest, when I realized or when we found out or understood that just the, the, the amount of animals that are killed in traps every year. And our feeling is that I something I wasn't even aware of. In fact, I wasn't, I didn't even realize that trapping still existed. That seems like something more out of our history or, or something you'd read about, but the fact that it was still going on. And I think more surprising to me was to the extent there's literally hundreds of thousands of animals uh, that are trapped and killed every year in Canada. And so the numbers to me were just staggering. And so I guess that was really what my opened my eyes to the whole situation. And, and, and with, John and our, our uh, uh, with our conservancy, with the Exposed Wildlife Conservancy, that just seemed a topic that we should absolutely find more about. Yeah, and it's, um, I, I think that is the experience of so many people, and that's what's been fascinating for me at the Fur Bears, is uh, I, I have had the experience of interviewing people who have lost pets or have come across animals who were uh, in, suffer or in pain or suffering from traps. Uh, and interviewed them and documented that. And it, it is a tragedy and a trauma every time for the people who go through this. Um, but the thing that really sticks with me is that folks don't know it's happening. And as John pointed out, I think one of the big issues is the way, like the trapping regulations have not changed significantly in a long time, but the way we are using outdoor spaces is changing constantly. So there are more people going out and hiking or snowshoeing or, or cycling in the winter. And people are walking their dogs on old uh, agricultural properties. Or even in the suburbs, we end up seeing uh, traps get used by people who read government endorsement of trapping. And as uh, uh, Kim experienced again, the ease of getting these traps is, is almost ridiculous considering it's supposed to be a very highly regulated industry. Um, one of the questions that came up last night, and I thought we, we'd talk briefly about today, though, is how are we going to be able to put together a, a fair documentary on this? Um, you know, the intent at this point is that there will be incorporated viewpoints of trappers, of biologists, of government agents, of indigenous leaders and communities. Um, what is the approach that the, the documentary team is going to take in order to ensure that it isn't just us saying traps are bad and let's get rid of them. I think it's key that we include those perspectives and to get those perspectives to, you know, we, we have to be, we're, we're going to have to be pretty clear with, with the groups that we talk to, particularly when we talk to trappers or trapping associations or government officials, that this is not a witch hunt. We just want to get the, 
the awareness out there and educate people as to what's going on and then let people make decisions whether they think this is something we should still be including in society. And so for me, one of the things I often try and think about, you know, I, I obviously have a, a bias towards not wanting trapping to continue. Mm -hmm. And yet I have a couple of experiences from my past where I have um, had fairly good relationships with trappers and, and still do to this day and so I think they will help us sort of structure um, how we approach the documentary. And so I'll give you a couple of examples. One, back when I first went to the Yukon in 2002, um, I was driving up a highway called the Campbell Highway, which is not actually a highway at all. It's a dirt road mm -hmm. um, in the middle of nowhere with really no towns on it. There's one town along it on 700 kilometers, and that town has 200 people in it driving along it, middle of nowhere, haven't seen anybody all day. And I pass uh, a broken down truck on the side of the road with uh, a very sketchy looking character standing there with the hood open. And I drive by and of course, a couple hundred meters later go, okay, I can't just drive by and not yep. turn around. So I turn around and I come back and ask the fellow if he needs help. And turns out he does, he needs a ride to his place. So he gets in and he's a, he, he looks like he has stepped out of 1897 Klondike Gold Rush big silvery beard and uh, introduces himself as Ivan and uh, gets into my car and uh, we, we drive down and go into his place. And as we drive down the long driveway to his place and arrive at his house, it is, it is a sort of a, a ramshackle property with stuff strewn about everywhere, including skulls and furs and all this crazy stuff. And I very quickly learn that he is a trapper um, that's how he supports himself now through the years i've stayed in touch with him um, his his wife has a real job uh, with the government of yukon but he made at that time told me he made about seven thousand dollars a year and mm -hmm. that was his income you know besides a few government subsidies and things like that you know um and and it was very interesting talking to him and it it was a side of trapping that I had never seen before. He literally lived in the bush, yep. um, you know, and he was operating a snowmobile that looked like it was from 1965. And, you know, he obviously was not spending a lot of money. Uh, and he, you could see he was doing it because he loved being out in nature. And it was mm -hmm. the, you know, that he had so many things in common with me. I ended up staying there for six hours. The one key difference was I don't kill things. Yeah. And, and so there actually are, and I've noticed this with a lot of trappers I've met since, is a lot of them do have that same love of the wilderness. There is just that one thing that, that kind of separates them from me. Um, so my current relationships with trappers, I know a couple of trappers up in the Grand Cache area who I have stayed, so Grand Cache is in north, north central Alberta, still in the Rocky Mountains. Um, and I have... Um, stayed in touch with them because they are extraordinary proponents of conservation of caribou up there. And they have the Alapesh herd roams through their trap line and they are the whistleblowers for when new cut blocks are coming in and new roads are getting plowed in and, and stuff is going on. So they, they were the whistleblowers when the poisoning campaign started yep. 15 years ago. And so it has opened my eyes a bit to, you know, trappers are not all bad. They're, it's, we're, we're not trying to penalize the trappers. What we're trying to change is some of the policy that is going back and is so archaic. And interestingly enough, these trappers 
are not out there trapping wolves. Um, they, you know, they go and they, they run a trap line and they, I think they do it almost more to be out in nature. They don't necessarily kill a lot of stuff. Um, so, so it's kind of a flip side versus this guy in Kananaskis whose trap line we came across, who's driving a big diesel truck, yeah. built a big brand new cabin, probably cost him, you know, hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, he's the only one who gets to build a cabin there. He's the only one who gets to drive that road and he kills everything. Mm-hmm. He literally, there's no management going on. There's no stewardship. He is just killing as much stuff as he can and throwing the bodies, casting them aside, lynx, uh, wolf, coyote, foxes, um, all the bycatch, who knows what else he's catching. Yep. He's killing stuff to, to bait the traps. So we found all kinds of beaver carcasses all over the place where he's using those as bait to, to pull the wolves in. Mm-hmm. He shot a moose to, to use the moose carcass to, to bait wolves and, and other stuff. So that's the flip side of things. And that's the, the type of trapper that, uh, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I just have no sympathy or empathy for. Um, it's, you know, this sort of spans the full breadth of trapping. You've got the, you know, and, the, and we haven't even covered the indigenous side, which, yep. you know, there are people up in Northern Canada who, who like Ivan, Ivan was not indigenous, but who like Ivan may make $10,000 a year and that's helping to support them and their family. So we're, we're going to have to tread carefully and we're going to have to tell the whole story and then let people decide for themselves, um, you know, should we be changing some of these regulations? Should we be, you know, first and foremost, one of this, this big campaign that we're starting, we want to ban snares. Yep. There is no discounting that snares are not efficient, they are not humane, and they should not be allowed. From an animal welfare issue, it's got nothing to do with conservation or anything. This is animal welfare. We're letting wild animals choke to death and it's not quick and it's not painless. It's a torturous death. And many of them don't even choke to death. They just lay there in the trap and fight and fight. Yep. And eventually the trapper comes along and dispatches them, kills them, murders them, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's 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 important to me and I think to the fur bears as well. And, and I think our audience will really appreciate this this mindset of while we have a clear ideological difference often with people, there are a lot of commonalities and there is a scope of people. There is a lot of history. There is a lot of other stuff that is woven into this. Um, and I think it'll be so important to give the opportunity to hear that because it is easy to say, well, we're just going to change it. But it is harder to recognize that even if we believe we are in the right, we are going to have an impact on people's lives and on the way people live. And that has to be considered and heard. So I think it is not only just appropriate to do, but also a respectful way of looking at society and how we want to move forward. And the format of asking questions of all of the people is something that I, and again, as a former journalist, absolutely love that idea. We're not going to tell you, we're going to let these people tell you what they know. So whether they are a trapper or the association of trappers or a biologist who supports it or a biologist who doesn't support it, um, we're going to hear those different perspectives. And I think that is a very important element of any educational efforts. Uh, although agreed, the snare stuff is really terrible. And there's a lot of data right now, too, illustrating that it's really terrible. Um, and I encourage folks to look through the library of Defender Radio podcasts to find more on snaring. Um, 
In terms of the project, though, moving forward, I, we, we've we've got a teaser that's out now. Um, we've got a huge Giving Tuesday opportunity coming up that we'll circle back to. But in terms of the actual production and so on, in ter- we're, we're going to be asking people to help fund this. What is the production methodology? And maybe, Kim, if you want to speak to that, uh, it's still being developed and finalized. But what are the kinds of steps that need to be taken now and moving into winter with filming and everything? I think the well, the first step that we're we're undertaking right now is really on the research side of things. We need to uh, investigate and find out as much about trapping across Canada uh, that we can. So uh, there'll be a lot of time and effort put into the research side. We then have to get involved in different people that we need to talk to. So. Uh, we've started uh, reaching out to a number of different organizations and different people and contacts that we have uh, to try and set up some of the interviews that we want to do. And then I think the overriding thing is the story. And we have got a real good start on, a, on our storyline. And then our intention is to break it into more of segments because it is such a broad topic and there's so many different varying opinions and different ideas and different thoughts that we can go. Our, our intention is to break it into 10 to 15 minute segments and they will, and each of these will take on a different topic. So we would, we would talk specifically uh, to trappers as, as an example. And then we might go and we, we would have a segment that we would talk more of an environment or a governmental uh, view of, of, the, of, of things. So our intention is to combine then these different segments into an overriding uh, documentary that would be you know, an hour, hour and a half documentary that we would then have available for broadcast or on the internet, that kind of type of thing. Yeah, and I think we're going to be looking at festivals and things like that as well uh, in 2022, 23, uh, which is going to be really exciting because that's where a lot of environmental stories end up getting that additional attention and getting uh, an international platform as we've said, one of the hardest things to deal with in talking about trapping is getting people to realize that it is current and is not all that far out of the way. Now, let's talk a bit about Giving Tuesday, because this is exciting on both sides. So as everyone knows, Giving Tuesday is the Tuesday following Black Friday and Cyber Monday and the opportunity to be altruistic and donate to important causes. And both the Fur Bears and Exposed Wildlife Conservancy this year have successfully navigated this to the point that we both have challenges on the horizon for that week. Uh, And John, I'll let you talk a bit about it. Yeah, sure. So we're... We've both been uh, very fortunate to have uh, a couple of donors step up on both sides uh, with the fur bears and with the Exposed Wildlife Conservancy. And they have challenged the rest of our donors, so the rest of our donor base, um, to raise $10,000 on each side of the equation. So for Exposed, uh, we've had a couple donors step up and say they're going to give us 10,000 if we can raise 10,000 on our own. So that will match it and turn it up to 20,000. And Fur Bears says, you guys have had one donor step up and uh, Mm -hmm. you've got the exact same thing. So I think um, it provides a very unique opportunity for us to get quite a ways into um, getting our budget for this documentary series uh, off to a fantastic start so that we can immediately December 1st Uh, start with our next steps, which as Kim alluded to, are our planning and research and starting to organize our interviews and our filming for this winter and creating that story arc uh, that is all going to lead to then the the spring 
and summer, which will be all the post-production, putting the documentary together, all the different episodes uh, and so on. Um, and so to do all that, we need money up front. Um, you know, we've got to yeah. have people in place uh, and, and uh, you know, we've as exposed on our side of things, we've got experience making the documentaries, uh, having just made a grizzly one uh, this spring for Alberta's trophy grizzly bear hunt uh, or, or the potential of it returning. And then from the fur bear side, we're going to be um, utilizing you guys, of course, for your expertise and your experience. And, you know, we just to be able to tap into you and Leslie at any point is invaluable to us in this process. Um, so it, uh, yeah, I think Giving Tuesday is this just incredibly unique opportunity and really whether people are able to donate $25 or $2,500, it doesn't really matter, it all helps us. And it has so much value because when you think that in Canada, we have hundreds of thousands of animals die each winter as Kim mentioned earlier, and that is everything from wolves and wolverines all the way down to the muskrats and the pine martens and the weasels, the little guys. Um, so people have the potential with just $25, for instance, if this works and we are able to have an impact on trapping, people could potentially in the future be saving you know, $25, saving 50 animals a winter. Um, it's staggering to think that you can have that much of an impact with so little money. Um, so I think this is just a an extremely unique opportunity for people to help out the fur bears, to help out exposed, and really doesn't matter which side you donate to, it's all going into the same chest at the end, it's all going uh, to, to this documentary series. And then we're really hoping to carry this on beyond that documentary series. You know, this is not a, a one-off, you know, come November next year and we release it, oh, we're all done. No, we're, we're hoping that yeah. it's gonna be successful and that we continue this campaign and then move into policy and advocation, uh, ad advocacy within government and, and so on. So, yeah, I think. Giving, yeah. yeah. So, Kim, could you tell us a bit about some of the fun rewards um, or, or opportunities that exist for donors as part of the Giving Tuesday week? Absolutely, Michael. We're, we really want to make this a collaborative effort. Uh, certainly we are with the fur bearers and, and with our donors and people that get involved. So we've got different giving levels uh, that will we're going to reward our donors with, uh, with, with different uh, uh, recognition, I would say. So as an executive producer for a $5,000 donation, you become an executive producer of this project. Uh, you'll be, uh, your name organization will be at the beginning and end at the end of our, uh, of our documentary. $2,500 is an associate producer, which will give you recognition at the end of the documentary. And even uh, to the point of a $100 donation, we've got, uh, uh, we'll be giving an electronic script uh, of the entire documentary to every donor of $100. And we're looking at every opportunity at all, at all different levels of giving. So we're hoping to reward uh, everyone that can get involved with this project. Yeah, and it's a great way, I think, especially for folks who are really passionate about this subject to not only be a part of it and help it get made, but then to be able to look back and say, this is a thing I did. This, this is something that I contributed to and I helped make happen. And ha it, it sounds a little silly sometimes, but I, I personally, uh, it, it feels good to have that kind of, yeah, this is something I accomplished and I'm proud of that. And I was able to help out in this way. Um, so I think it's a, a great opportunity. And frankly, too, if you've got someone in your life who loves wildlife, this would make a heck of a gift 
uh, by the way, a $5,000 donation made in your name, and you get to be the executive producer on a documentary that's going to challenge snares and trapping in Canada for all of time. Like, that, that's going to be nice to open, uh, depending on the day of the month you like to open things on. So I uh, definitely encourage people to check that out. Um, and for folks who do want to learn more about Exposed Wildlife Conservancy, because you guys are relatively new, um, what other projects have you been working on uh, just before we wrap up and how people can learn more about Exposed and this project? Yeah, so we um, have a, a number of main projects. I would say our, our primary campaigns right now are snaring and trapping. So this one that mm -hmm. is just launching here with this Giving Tuesday campaign with the fur bearers. Um, we have just completed uh, the Alberta grizzly bear documentary that I had mentioned earlier, um, which is regarding uh, the potential of the trophy grizzly bear hunt returning in the province. Um, and so it was to raise awareness about the issue. Uh, we have in the past um, done several episodes about the British Columbia grizzly bear trophy hunt, and we were yep. integral in helping shut that down. Uh, so in 2017, the province of BC um, put uh, a moratorium on the grizzly bear hunt. And so that was a huge success for conservationists and environmentalists and for our group. Um, it was, uh, you know, to, to be able to see that success, uh, tangible success was something that really made us think, hey, you know, we can make a difference. We can help provide our wildlife with a voice. And I think fur bears has also had some great successes, including mink farms very recently. So, yep. you know, you know all about what we're talking about there. Um, so grizzly bears is always kind of an ongoing project for us. Um, we touch back on it here and there. We've made uh, uh, three episodes about the BC hunt and then a documentary about the Alberta potential for the Alberta hunt. And we're looking at uh, potentially moving into the Yukon in the future. Um, and then our other campaign that I guess is, is going to be getting off the ground at some point in the few, near future here and that I personally have been working behind the scenes quite a bit on is uh, hound hunting. So Ooh, um, that's using a good hounds one. to hunt, yeah, cougars, mm -hmm. lynx, bobcat, uh, most of our cats, even black bears in some provinces. Coyotes uh, often Coyotes, too. yeah, yep. even wolves. Um, so that's, that's one that we really want to dig our teeth into um, as we go forward. And it's one I've been, as I mentioned, been working behind the scenes, tracking cougars a lot last winter trying mm -hmm. to get footage and stills uh, of some of these big apex predators so that we've got some stuff to use as we start fundraising and going into the future with that. So, uh, you know, another one that we'll be um, not necessarily partnering with the fur bears on, but obviously one you guys will have some skin in the game on because uh, those are fur bearing animals again. Yep. And, and I'm sure we'll also be talking about that on a future Defender Radio podcast and so on. Uh, hound hunting is one that I've known about for many years, but not had an opportunity to engage on for a variety of reasons. So that's very exciting for me personally to hear that. That's one of the projects you guys are going to be working on uh, in the future. And folks who are interested in learning more, you've got ExposedWC.org and a bunch of social channels that will all be linked. Uh, is there anything else folks need to be aware of about this project or, or how they can be involved? I think from, from my perspective anyways, um, there, there's another really key way people can be involved and that is to help share everything on social media, um, with friends, with family. So even if you yourself can't give $25, $2,500, whatever it might be, um, maybe you know someone who can and you love wildlife and you say, hey, you know what, I, I would love this as a gift. Can you help support 
this conservancy for the holiday season? Can you help support the fur bearers for the holiday season? Can you help support this project? Uh, and, and if you can't even do that, just share it. You know, get help mm-hmm. us get the word out. Um, share the Defender podcast. You know, this podcast is uh, is is one of the top hundred on Apple Podcasts for nature and environment. And you know, help it get into the top ten. Um, get the word out there. Um, you know, it's a, a great podcast that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a couple times in the past. Go look up those old podcasts and listen to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think Michael and I did a pretty good job on them. Um, and then I wanted to say, uh, probably on behalf of Kim and I, I'll let Kim speak for himself in a second here, but just how much of a pleasure it is to work with the fur bearers and to have that expertise and experience behind this project. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier the word invaluable, and, and it really truly is. And I feel so fortunate that we are able to partner up with a group like you guys um, that is so ensconced in Canadian naturalist minds and, and, and people that love animals. Um, and so I think it's, you know, we're, we're gonna ride a bit on your coattails for this one. And, uh, and we just thank you for, for letting us be involved with you. Of course. Yeah, I think very well said, John. I think we're, we're just, we're stronger together. And I think when, when Exposed started, we used the name uh, obviously as a reference to photography, but really for me personally, it was just having an understanding, seeing what was actually going on with nature and outdoors and animals and, that I hadn't really been aware of. And so when you talk about sharing it with uh, uh, your friends and people you know, John, that's so critical for us. And it really is the foundation of the Exposed Wildlife Conservancy in that we want to expose people to, to what is going on on the ground. And I think in many cases, that's that's really the answer is to just let people know what's going on and, and be able to show people and tell stories and explain to them what is actually going on. And so the staring and trapping is a perfect example of that. I think many people don't really even understand that it's still going on to the extent it is. Uh, hound hunting, uh, there's a number of topics uh, in our wildlife uh, and the management or lack thereof that uh, people just aren't aware of. So if you can share it and tell people and spread it around and tell your friends and relatives it's uh, it's just it's invaluable uh, for us to have that message out there for sure you can learn more about this project and get involved at thefurbearers.com slash trapped on the exposed conservancy website at exposedwc.org or by following the links in your podcast players show notes or at defenderradio.com i want to thank john and kim for their time All of us have been working around the clock to get this project ready for Giving Tuesday, and I really appreciate the time given to chat for the podcast. You can follow Exposed Wildlife Conservancy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and learn more about them at exposedwc.org. You can also find John's photography on social media by searching John E. Marriott or at wildernessprints.com. I really hope you're able to contribute to this project. It's the kind of opportunity that can make a real long-term impact for an awful lot of people and animals. From $5 to $5,000, every penny helps get this documentary a step closer to being in front of millions of Canadians. Direct links are in your podcast player app and in the show notes at DefenderRadio.com. That's it for this week, folks, but we'll be back with more episodes of Defender Radio and The Switch next week. Remember to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Howie Michael and on Facebook at Defender Radio Podcast. Sign up for email updates at DefenderRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears. Thank you for listening. <laughs>